So purpose versus design, it's like, who are you trying to attract? Okay. As they come into your session, what are they thinking, feeling, and or doing? At the end of your time together, what do you now hope they're going to be thinking, feeling, and are doing? So those are the objectives. That's the transformation you're aiming for. And so I think that's the first piece. The second piece is really understanding the platform you're using. So I'm particularly focused on Zoom. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlock, and I'm super glad to have you with us here today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Robbie. Robbie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolute pleasure. Awesome. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Well, before the pandemic, I spent over a decade working to be recognized as a networking expert with a focus on teaching people how to network at conferences. I spoke on that topic for 11 years. I left my day job to pursue speaking as a full-time business. I launched a podcast, thus the fancy mic that I have. I uh, wrote my first book and published that group coaching program, wrote for Harvard Business Review, uh, got the opportunity to do a TEDx talk. TEDx talk gets published in January of 2020. I am poised to be an overnight success, 10 years in the making. And two months later, March 2020 happens and nobody needs any of the skills or assets or resources or knowledge that I have acquired in the previous decade. So I had to find a new way to show up and offer value. And the short answer to that is I hosted my first virtual happy hour, March 13th, 2020. And by the end of 2020, I had a certification program for helping people uh, show up and be confident and competent using Zoom. I was being hired by organizations to bring their events online with less stress and greater greater uh, participant engagement. And I then uh, wrote a second book telling people about how I did that business because I'm a business growth strategy coach. And so part of my secret is that I was also coaching at the time and treated myself like a, like a client. And my third book just came out, which is uh, really all about how to use Zoom, came out on the third anniversary of when all this sort of started. Wow. So not only are you prolific, you have the ability to pivot quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, don't discount that 10 years, right? Like, right? I know that a lot of the work that I did those 10 years and that 10 years, you know, the overnight success that we're all aiming for, um, those, those benchmarks, like those moments, like no one says to me when I'm talking about Zoom, oh, what was your TEDx on though? It wasn't on Zoom, was it? <laughs> no one does that. They're like, oh, wow, Zoom. Okay, yeah, you're credible. You're like, so like, they didn't ask me like, tell me more about that first book you wrote. Like, it was like, oh, you published a book. Like, okay, you know, so I feel like it was easier to keep going because of the work I did those first 10 years. Nice. So talk to me about the change process that happened in your brain while you were going through that because I think for a lot of entrepreneurs it we get stuck on this is my thing and this is what I'm going to do and this is the way it's going to happen so like what was going on in your brain was it like oh now we have 360 or did it you shut down (laughs) what was what happened for you so I had been paying attention to Rachel Maddow and knew vaguely about this virus that was happening over there you know, not anywhere near my home. And it started to get closer. And I suddenly was in, you know, Seattle. And so March 9th, I accepted that this was happening. I just was like, oh, this is a thing. This is going to be a disruptor. I'm not going to want to go out in person. None of us are going to want to out in person. I don't know how long this is going to be. I didn't know what to do about it, but I accepted it. And I do think acceptance was the first part of this. 
I then stewed <laughs> like many of us did. Two days later, though, I met with my peer mastermind that I had been running for years at that point. And one of the mastermind members said, but Robbie, you don't think of networking as something that only happens at events because the only app we were doing at that moment was at home. <laughs> um, she said, you built a, a global network over the last five years. Go, go write something about that. And so March 12th, 2020, mind you, nothing had been shut down yet. I wrote nine ways to network in a pandemic as a blog post and shared it. And it had some response because people were like, all it was all happening. And I was looking at that list that evening, so Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, and I'm like, I should do one of these things. And the third thing on the list was to host a virtual happy hour, which I had never done. I had been hosting things on Zoom for years, um, never more than 12 people, small groups, you know, masterminds, coaching programs, mostly one-on-one, -on -one, like interviews or client calls. But I was like, I host dinners all the time. Like, I could do this. So that's how I posted a note like that night in a Facebook group that I'm in and who would come the next day. And uh, I chose five o'clock Eastern on a Friday because it was the next time that I could reasonably decide we were going to have a quote happy hour. Now, <laughs> I wasn't thinking it was going to be a global event. I mean, I hosted it weekly for two years. I still host it once a month. It became a month later branded the no more bad zoom virtual happy hour. We've had people from like 42 countries. I don't even know. It's ridiculous. People have shown up from like down under. I mean, Australians getting up Saturday morning to come. Um, people in Asia showing up in the middle of the night. It's been remarkable, especially in 2020 when we had no other plans. And uh, and that's really, I was just trying to show up and offer value. I, I just, I didn't think of it as a business plan. It wasn't a strategy. It was, this is what I can do. I will tell you one other thing I did, Michelle. Uh, that week. And then you can ask me a follow-up, but March 9th, I also gave my first monthly gift to a local food bank. I had never prior had food insecurity as one of my top three. I was the person who would bring a can to someone else's canned food drive. Like I would support what you were doing, but it wasn't one of my top three issues, but I just had this flash of how much pain people are going to be in and how I knew that our family would be fine. And that one way we we're going to be fine is if I stopped thinking about scarcity and thought about abundance, and I was going to release this, it was $10 at the time. And then a few months later, I ended up meeting someone from Feeding America who coordinates uh, sort of support between 200 food banks. And then they became my biggest client three years later. We're still working together, even as they go back to in-person. And so I now give half of the proceeds for my monthly uh, club program to Feeding America because it's all about, you know, you can't, you can't receive if you're holding your fist too tightly closed. And so I needed to be open. And I, I do think somehow that all worked out. Ah, oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic to hear. So tell me a bit more about kind of the, the programs that you offer and what you do, who are you serving now? So primarily I work with organizations that are committed to producing high quality virtual programs. They've They've realized that while it may not be their only type of event, um, but for some it is. So I work with some California-based organizations that have really committed to the virtual uh, program because when they host their multi-day conference, they now can host one instead of before. Some of them were hosting two, one in Northern California, one in Southern California, because it's a really big state. They can uh, attract speakers from literally across the world by having the virtual program. 
They can have more people attend from each of their member organizations because there's no travel costs. Um, the cost to produce the event is less than it had been when they had to book hotels and feed people and coffee breaks and all the rest. And so they're committed, but they want it to be high quality. And so these are people I've met with in 2020 and we're still producing the virtual programs. Um, then like Feeding America, they do some virtual programs. I, I not just work with their events team, but it's their HR will reach out now and again because they want to host something um, that's sort of internally facing for their for their um, employees. Sometimes I get requests from their their uh, their fundraising team because they want to host something with their donors. But their in-person events are back online, and I'm I sort of said, "Hi, I I've been doing event design like for a long time, and it wasn't about." In, we didn't call it in person. It was just event design. Um, and they were like, oh, great. We can continue working with you. And so I meet with, they have session owners. So for each of their concurrent programs, you know, at a conference, there's like, you know, so many sessions happening at a time. One staff member, maybe two, um, will kind of own it and they'll put together the panel. And I meet with those folks to help them design the flow, um, the engagement, um, some principles before and after to help them create participant opportunities to connect and network. And then they go and fill, like once we decide, like, is it a panel? Is it a fireside chat? Is it a presentation? They go and fill that. And then I host speaker prep sessions for their speakers as well. So whether it's in-person or virtual, I'm still doing event design. And then if it's virtual, I can also do Zoom producing, uh, training speakers. And I get, I get invited to speak about the topic as well. So I have a few different um, trainings around either getting ready for Zoom or sort of you know, my, my low tech uh, solutions for, for creating these engaging Zoom. So whatever it is, I, I sort of come up with a lot of that. Um, and then I'm also a business growth strategy coach. I wear a lot of hats, Michelle. I'm a multifaceted uh, entrepreneur, uh, multi-passionate entrepreneur. And so I do still have a handful of coaching clients one-on-one -on -one who are just figuring out how to like market their next offer. And I lean into the network piece of it. And so I teach them how to leverage their existing network to discover likely prospects and likely um, uh, uh, referral partners. Um, I have a certification program for Zoom, uh, which has been dormant for about a year, but it's coming back online. Uh, so people who want to really showcase that they know what they're doing. Some have built, some of my students have gone on and built uh, Zoom producer companies or their professional speakers who have been able to attract top clients because they, they have the credentials to, to prove their, their ability to show up online. Nice. I love it. So what would you say is the difference between a high quality Zoom meeting and, and one that's not? <laughs> Some of the mistakes people yeah. make. Yeah. I mean, a, a through line for everything we should be doing is called something I, I, I call purpose first design. And this is true for any medium. <laughs> um, like, are you about to have a meeting of any kind? Purpose first design comes in because if you stop and think about it, the meeting maybe should just be an email. <laughs> I mean, it's just like... <laughs> So purpose versus design, it's like, who are you trying to attract? Okay. As they come into your session, what are they thinking, feeling, and or doing? At the end of your time together, what do you now hope they're going to be thinking, feeling, and or doing? So those are the objectives. That's the transformation you're aiming for. And so I think that's the first piece. The second piece is really understanding the platform you're using. So I'm particularly focused on Zoom, but my what I teach people about is applicable to any virtual program, any virtual platform, as well as in person, but know and understand the medium you're in. Um, don't give people erroneous directions, like go ahead and raise your hand in chat. 
raise hands never been in chat. Like it doesn't, <laughs> that's not a thing. Or when um, the speaker points to their top right and says, go ahead and click on the top right. And what you're seeing is someone pointing to the top left. Those little things cause like that Zoom fatigue. That's our brain having to work overtime to try to understand like, which way do you want me to, where's the button? So understand that. And then lastly, facilitation is so key. In person, it's a lot easier to know who's going to go next if you have people going around in a circle, right? You just, you point to someone and say, go to your left. And that, after that point, it's pretty much clear. In the virtual land, we don't know instinctively who's going next. We don't know where we are on the screen. And so I remember so many times being on calls, and I'm sure it still happens, where someone is put in the spotlight and they have that deer in headlights moment because they didn't know it was about to be their turn. And they weren't quite paying attention and they don't know what the question was or what the instructions were. So I teach people how to facilitate, how to use all the Zoom tools effectively so that they are keeping people engaged. Um, whether it's you know more content-based, whether it's meant to be more interactive, it's always thinking about the participant perspective and moving them towards those desired outcomes. Nice. So my brain goes a million different directions. Yeah. Like the the CEO that has a team meeting and they're going, I, well, I expect everybody to be paying attention. You should know what the question was, which kind of gives us all this PTSD of grade three and <laughs> teacher asking a question. They're like, what, where are we? Um, you really do want to avoid PTSD in your employees because they're more productive otherwise. But let's talk about the things that you can do to make things more interesting. Like the accuracy of, of what you're saying obviously is paramount. And I think people don't realize that what they come into the meeting with because they've been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and they're prepped and they know and they assume that everybody else has had that prep time in this meeting. <laughs> Like, right. No, nobody else has. They're they're all showing up blind. They're showing up. I mean, this is where best practices apply everywhere. Like having an agenda ahead of time. If it's a if it's a work meeting, particularly having an agenda. Um, there are also differences in how we process information. So I'm an outgoing extrovert. So I'm both able to process in the moment. Like I don't even know what the and I and I'm outgoing. So I don't know what the question even is yet. And I can have my hand raised because I will, but I, that, that's not actually as useful as you would think because now I'm just like verbally kind of like spewing a bunch of information until it clicks in my brain. And I'm like, oh, here's what here's what I wanted to say. So that spends a lot of time. Um, but if I thought about it a little bit ahead of time, I'd be more prepared. And then there's the more introverted people who just needed to see if the prompts were. Um, they also need to have time where they can be called on instead of having to like jump in. So this is where facilitation is really key. And then um, I love breakout rooms. Like, so my my latest book is um, Breakout of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events. And 10,000 of 62,000 words is all about breakout rooms. It's the first <laughs> chapter I started working on. Um, I have so much to say about it because I think when done well, they add so much value, but we also know there are times where people just get thrown into a breakout room. No one really remembered what the prompt was. Everyone's muted. We're all just kind of looking at each other. Like no one knows who wants to unmute, you know, we're all looking around the room. And so in that moment, like you're really losing momentum and people won't engage in your material. So there are ways to get our brains to engage before even sending them to the room. It's about the kind of prompts we do. It's about giving an answer ourselves so that we tell our answer, which is a story that ignites stories in the participants' mind, telling what order to go in and not getting too cutesy about the order. 
Um, I have discussed horoscopes more times than I can count in the last three years because the prompt was followed with and uh, go in order of your birthdays. And so we end up talking about birthdays and horoscopes for like the first five minutes of 10. And we're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so really understanding like the human behavior and how do you modify that adult learning styles. Um, there's, there's a lot to it. And then also the debrief as well, like not skipping the debrief, but also not defaulting to it being someone has to raise their hand because certain people will always raise their hand. Me, I'm one of those people. So I have all of these other ways to debrief that sort of highlights different voices in the room, different perspectives, brings in even maybe a person who's brand new, maybe they get nominated based on something they said. So I just think it's about, that's design, right? That's all design piece. And then having the facilitation to follow through, um, knowing how to interrupt politely uh, so that you don't scar people. I mean, you can abruptly, because we all have microphones, you can abruptly interrupt people, but that'll shut down everyone else. Like no one wants to then be the same, like they don't want to be put in that position where that could happen to them. So, so knowing how to gently interrupt people so that they don't ramp up their conversation or story, they like kind of slow it down and, and you can move on to the next person. So these are skills that can be taught, that can be practiced. And if you have facilitation skills for in-person, you've got a lot going for you, but there are differences. To me, there's a Venn diagram of in-person and virtual, and there's a there's a, quite an overlap, I would say, but there are some things when I do my event design for in-person, I have to discuss those, you know, when people come into your session at a vibrant catacallway five or 10 minutes early, how do you welcome them so they don't just sit by themselves in a corner and get on their phone and avoid everybody else? How do you break that silence? How do you design the space? Do you have a, a prompt up in the middle, you know, the front of the room? So there's all those things you don't have to think about for virtual. For virtual, instead, you'd be like, well, how do I start a meeting where there's like a, a closed curtain moment and then a we're starting moment so we don't have sidebar conversations? Because you've had that happen too, right? Like you come into a call, you're pretty much on time, but like there's a sidebar conversation going on and you're like, am I late? What are we talking about? And it's just like two or three people having a conversation and then you have to sort of somehow interrupt that and then start. So to me, there's like lots of ways I use music, I use muting, I use the chat to kind of help create these experiences, whether it's in person or virtual. Right. It's, there's a lot of kind of just what I'm going to call general understanding as opposed to say technical understanding or, you know, software comprehension that has to be done. But when it comes to having a higher quality do you recommend using other things like software to be able to change backgrounds and things like that while they're using them? Do those get kitschy? What are your thoughts on those? So I am in favor of what I call low tech, low tech solutions. Um, obviously I'm using Zoom, so it's not like zero tech, but <laughs> by what I mean by low tech is I try to use features that are built into Zoom more than sending people to far off places. But I'll also tell you that even with Zoom, I can have a, a virtual um, overlay, an image overlay show up on my screen. Um, that is actually a, a, a video, um, what do they call it? A video filter that's not through OBS or Ecamm or any other third-party tool, which are complicated and require a bit of time and effort to, to figure out. So, you know, uh, if it comes to, um, you know, posing questions like the Zoom's built-in uh, poll is really great. And now there's a dance polls that no one's really been using that allow you to type an answer or pick from column A and column B 
or to do a quiz that actually shows what the correct answers are. There's all these features that most people have not really discussed or, or tried out. Instead, they're sending people to third party. And I, and I, I like some of these third party tools. Mentimeter is probably the one I like the most. But if you send someone to Mentimeter or Miro or Mural or Jamboard, um, you might lose a lot of people, particularly if they're not very tech savvy. Something that happened, Michelle, in the beginning of this pandemic is that people clicked on the link in chat and Zoom, which for them was by default full screen, went away and was replaced by whatever browser window popped up and they didn't know how to get back to Zoom. And they were essentially taught to not click links in chat. And so uh, if your audience is in that space, then you telling them, oh, this is really easy. Just go to Jamboard, click on this thing, and you get 30% participation. So if participation is the goal, not looking cool, then you're going to get 70 to 90% participation by using the, the Zoom feature versus a third-party tool. There are times where a third-party tool is precisely the right thing, particularly if you're meeting weekly, then teaching a community of people, this is how we're going to use this tool this is what we expect of you. That makes sense because the upfront at time to educate them and get them ready and get them to stop just stamping hearts. Like I watched a woman stamp the heart into a meta heart while the whole, we just stopped. The facilitator did not move forward because this woman was not done making that heart. And I know that we're like, <laughs> we're like three-year-olds with Sharpies when we first get permission to like annotate. Um, so knowing when to use certain tools and whether that community will use it and will actually help you move closer to member purpose for design is going to help you get to that end goal. Um, don't use music just because you can, don't use polls just because you can, don't use breakout rooms just because you feel like you should, like they should all be designed with some purpose in mind. Right. And for those who are like, I just want to get on there. I just want to say my piece and leave. Do you go and co-facilitate so that you're in the back doing push all the buttons, making all the yes. things happen and they get to just show up? Yes. I'm an executive zoom producer <laughs> and I will meet with you, design the, the flow design and flow of the session. Um, I will meet with your speakers ahead of time. Uh, if, if that's possible, if not, we will meet 30 minutes before your session and I'll do a final you know, tech check. I will teach them things like uh, look at the camera when you're speaking. It makes such a difference. Like if I'm looking down look the whole that, you're time, the monitor. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at the other monitor. Oh, it's awful. Um, so where to position their notes, where to position their slides, how to even set up your slides. I, I can teach, for instance, if you have one monitor, if you only have a laptop per, per se, and you have PowerPoint, there's a way to show full screen PowerPoint to your audience while you're seeing the speaker notes on your side. Um, and you can still have access to chat and you have access to participant window and you have access to see images and so all that, you know, videos of all the participants. So I can show people how to do all those things. And then I can handle, you know, managing, moderating chat. Um, sometimes I'm also in front of the camera. I might do a zoom orientation to help them understand like, Hey, everybody, welcome. We'd love you to update your name. Here's how to do that. Click over here, here you know, add your location or your title or whatever it is. Um, I'll put welcome messages in chat. I'll put resources in the chat. If there's breakout rooms, I manage those. It's a poll, I launch that. So that the person teaching just really doesn't worry about it. Like we designed the idea together, but then they just have content. One of the things I do, by the way, it's like a small piece of what I do, but I produce uh, book launch parties and I, or anniversary book launch book parties um, for my fellow authors, because 
it's something I know how to do and I like to help people. And so that's an example where, you know, they had no idea what it could look like. And I'm like, well, here's, here's seven options that I've seen. And they're like, oh, you know, and so we, we create like a customer success panel where they have different people come and talk about the way they've worked together. So it's not just about the book. It's about driving that audience to support you, either refer you or hire you, as well as getting reviews on Amazon or whatever, whatever the case might be. So um, that's where I think working with a strategist who does design is like so critical. Right. Absolutely. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. Well, uh, so I had a client early on who um, was trying to host their very first virtual anything. It was the Association of Talent Development, Southern Connecticut chapter. And I got introduced to them. This was, um, I probably introduced them in like August of 2020. And their event was going to be, I think, October or November of that year. And that this is a community of people who were not tech savvy. They had not dabbled in Zoom. They were not using it for work, but they knew they knew about it and they knew that they needed to bring their event online. And the instinct for a lot of people when they started this was I had clients who just wanted to do like six or seven hours of content in a row and call it a day. And I'm like, you know, even the Sims family, do y'all know about the Sims family? You know, that game, they are there. Yeah, okay, they get to use the bathroom. Like we're biological people, like we need bio breaks. And so, but there was this fear, I think that if you give people an opportunity to leave, they would never come back. I'm like, well, that says more about your content and your, your presentation skills than like, I think. So I would always say like in person, do you like lock the door behind people? You know, you're in this room, that's it. The other things I would hear from people was, you know, concern about giving the microphone over to people or letting them be visible or this disruption of chat. And so a lot of the conversations early on in 2020 was about, you know, hey, I understand. But in person, again, you wouldn't put bags on people's heads and muzzle them, you know, or like slap their hand if they dare to like shake hands with each other. You like and greet each other. So it's all about creating some control within that. And so they ended up um, bringing their uh, content online and it went really, really well. And they were able to, to continue to build their chapter membership where a lot of things, a lot of folks, I think, struggled with providing value to their members and still do. And I know actually that even in-person events have had, even though we're back to having them, have seen a drop in attendance because people are saying they want for, to less virtual and more in-person. But in reality, I think the, the like, what gets them to actually, I mean, listen, I love people and I'm an outgoing expert, but I want a lot of money to leave my, my driveway. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, either I am going to learn and it's a particular community that I want to be around, or I'm being paid a lot of money to go somewhere or it's a vacation with my family. Like, otherwise I'm not that interested since I can do so much from home. So I think we have to make sure that whether we're designing in person or we're designing for online, we're providing that value. Ultimately events are about content and connection. And that's the through line for me, right? I understood that back in March, 2020. I didn't know how to deliver that in March, 2020, but now I've got three plus years of, of trial and error. And I can absolutely say that virtual programs can be transformative, inclusive, and engaging. Absolutely. Well, and I know a lot of speakers in the community are uh, very much love to travel, but very much don't like to spend time in airplanes. <laughs> so it's like, no, I, I'm going to go travel and I will speak at your event, but I'm staying wherever I happen to be in the right. world. <laughs> you know. so, yeah, that was awesome. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? 
RobbieSamuels.com is where you can find everything related to me. I have three books, a podcast called On the Schmooze. Uh, I was interviewed by NPR about the content for my first book, which is all about networking. My TEDx talk was all about networking at events, which you know we're now back to doing. And I think we're all out of practice. Um, so I have a lot, a lot of content there. Um, happy for people to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. I, I post there regularly and I try to engage and have conversations. Um, and I have uh, also my No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour that I mentioned earlier. It's free on the first Friday of every month and it's nomorebadzoom.com. Love it. We will, of course, have all of your links in the show notes. So peeps, just scroll down, click on Robbie's links, open them up in a new browser, of course, because we're not done yet. So Robbie, at what point did in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I've always been entrepreneurial. I was the kid who started out selling gum in junior high. And within a couple of years, I was not just selling candy, but I was freezing juice boxes. And then as they would thaw, I was selling slushies. <laughs> um, and my junior year of high school, I started selling bagel sandwiches. I would take the orders the night before and make them the night before and then heat them up in the morning and bring them to school. Um, so I ended up going to the world of nonprofit and putting all of my skills to work to help other people. And I was um, my mentor, really, Dory Clark, uh, was pushing me to leave because it was clear I I had a passion to do speaking and be an entrepreneur, but I felt like as she suggested that, I suddenly was like, oh my God, I, lo I, I love paychecks. I love, uh, I love healthcare. It was sort of like that scared, like scared moment. But uh, very soon after that intervention with our friends, um, I, I actually left uh, my day job the end of 2014 and didn't look back. And um, really that was possible because of the partnership I have with my, my spouse. She's like, got my back and, and believed in me. And as, while she's not entrepreneurial, she is living with one, which is a special kind of, you know, special kind of <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> patience and understanding and belief that comes from that. I love it. You've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Uh, I, I, I mean, I think that if you are using Zoom, even as a participant, there's a way to get 5% better every time you Zoom, whether you're speaking producing, hosting, or even participating. And I'll give you one tip as a participant, be the person who's active in chat offering value. There's two ways to do that. One, you can share your takeaways. So share what you just learned in chat. That's gonna be really helpful for a lot of people. And the other is if a speaker mentions a resource, go find it online and write a little note that includes the hyperlink that's clickable, which means it has that HTTP colon slash slash in front of it. Then if you have resources to share of your own, it won't be seen as you just like spamming people. You'll be just a really valued member. And even if it's a, a webinar where no one can see you, people will recognize your name. You'll be popping up regularly as someone that people want to get to know. Uh, they might reach out to you and want to connect with you. So even as a participant, there are ways to be visible and to network and engage in a virtual program. Nice. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. 
And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.